talking about a culture of where we want people to be proactive and it's okay to fail, not only um, walking the walk when that situation does come up and people do come to you with a mistake, but also uh, freely expressing like, hey, here's where I messed up and that's part of being human and it's okay and we're going to move forward together. And, you know, hey, I, I kind of uh, misstepped here. Can someone help me? And they're like, oh, of course, like I'll help you. And then when you misstep, like I'll help you. We're all, all in it together. It's not like us against them or I gotcha. It's like, no, we're all on the same team or we're going to help each other out. Welcome to another episode of the Leading to Fulfillment podcast, where every episode is meant to encourage people-first leaders, empower individuals to achieve fulfillment, and to help your organizations become places people love to work. I'm your host, James Laws, and I have a fascinating show in store for you. My guest for this episode is Emily Sander. Emily is a C-suite executive and founder of Next Level Coaching. As an ICF certified coach, she guides clients towards new perspectives that enable them to adapt and evolve as leaders. She is also the author of the book, Hacking Executive Leadership. In my conversation with Emily, we discuss an introduction into the role of a chief of staff using frameworks to enable better decision-making, the failure loop and becoming failure-friendly, and the three circles decision framework. But first, I want to invite you to subscribe and leave a review for the Leading to Fulfillment podcast in your favorite podcast tool. We are on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, really everywhere you can find podcasts. You can even check us out over on YouTube. Now, let's jump into my conversation with Emily Sander. Emily, thank you so much for being on the Leading to Fulfillment podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited about this uh, conversation. You uh, have written a book called Hacking Executive Leadership. I have it here. I've read it. Oh, it's, uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, it, luckily, there was enough time frame. I got the book. I read through it. Love it. It's, it's really an interesting read. I recommend it. I uh, highly recommend it to those listening. If you get a chance, pick up a copy. It's, it's really good. Uh, so I'm really excited about this particular conversation. But before we dive right into it, uh, how about you take some time to kind of introduce yourself, let people know what you're about and kind of what led you to where you are today? Certainly. So I've been in the business world, the corporate world for about 15 years and primarily leading, managing, client-facing teams in a rapid growth environment. So think about client management teams or account management teams, implementation teams, those those groups, and in small to medium technology-based businesses. So that's where I cut my teeth. Um, that's where I grew and, and rose to uh, executive leadership. I currently serve as a chief of staff, and I support our CEO and the rest of our executive leadership team. And that's fantastic. And I get a lot of joy and fulfillment out of that job. Several years ago, I look back at the previous jobs I've had and said, what's, what's my favorite? Like, what did I really get energized doing? And it was the one-on-one -on -one interactions, helping people get to the next level of whatever they were doing. So if that was, you know, just a straight up promotion, or if that was helping with their confidence or helping them lead a team meeting, those things stuck with me. And I got, I said, oh, that's what, you know, lights my fire. And that's what I like to get up and do every day. And then I found coaching. 
and executive leadership coaching, I said, this is a thing, like this is a thing you can do. Um, And so I went to get certified and it confirmed it. I was like, these are my people. This is my tribe. This is what I was meant to do. And so now I I work um, as chief of staff and I also work as an executive leadership coach and I'm loving it. But all of those things I mentioned involve people and involve supporting people and making sure they're aligned with their strengths and with their inclinations and what they get energized doing. So, you know, when I heard about your show, I, I had to reach out to you and I'm so glad that uh, we got to connect. Awesome. That uh, It's really interesting. You know, I talked to a lot of people and I've had quite a few people who are in the kind of the executive world uh, have come from the executive world, maybe moved to coaching, coaching or consulting or starting another business in, in that kind of vein. Uh, and one of the things you, you talked about your current, your, what your current position is as chief of staff. Now I'm, I'm from the, uh, unfortunately the scrappy startup, small <laughs> business world. I'm not in, not, not as privy to the corporate culture. And I bet you that a lot of my listeners hear uh, chief of staff and they go like, what, what is a chief of staff? I mean, I get what a CEO does or a CTO or a CFO or a COO. Kind of understand those kind of executive, we like so even small businesses, we adopt those pretty quickly. Uh, chief of staff, describe that position for those who might not be as aware of those. Good question, common question. My short answer is I use this helpful analogy. You know the six pack of soda you get at the store? Mm-hmm. You know the little plastic thing on top that holds it together? <laughs> yeah. That is what a chief of staff does. It holds the executive team together and makes sure they're aligned, they're resourced appropriately, they're prioritized and, and you know all, the, all those things. So they're in lockstep and moving in the right direction. That is my short answer. The medium answer, which I'll, I'll briefly go over, is uh, I keep our CEO sane, which is a win for everybody. And yes. I keep him focused. Uh, it's, it's lonely at the top. So having someone that he can um, not vent to, but but have that objective sounding board where he knows he doesn't have to pull any punches and he doesn't have to watch what he's saying. Um, Just having someone to have that dialogue with um, and thought partner is useful. And then um, I sit above the department lines. So a leader of operations or a leader of technology is rightly focused on their area of the business. And I'm seeing across the different silos. And that leads me to say, hey, um, you know, this person is actually doing the same jo- same thing as this person over here, it's redundant. Let's make sure we're only doing that once. Or conversely, hey, you know, Susie over here thinks that John is doing this, but John thinks Susie is. I know no one's doing it. Let's talk about that. <laughs> so I, I'm able to catch those types of things. Oh, I love it. I think I've identified what's missing in my life. <laughs> <laughs> For my team too. I, I, I guarantee my team would be like, yeah, I wish somebody would like rein him in and focus him. <laughs> so he, he's not in my life uh, all the time. No, um, no. no that, that's very, very cool. It is. It's interesting to think about. I was, you know, honestly, you know, chief of staff is something I was aware of, but I decided obviously in leading up to this, I looked it up and I was reading it and I'm like, uh, it's it's a lot. It's a lot that you're juggling. You have to be a multifaceted leader. You can't just, you know, I, and, and hopefully, right, uh, a, a good CEO is also a multifaceted leader. But to be able to kind of bridge departments and have some uh, institutional knowledge of each of these departments and how they operate and what they need and being able to connect, connect them together is a is a powerful tool and and a lot to keep track of. Uh, 
I was noticing as we started the prints on the back of your wall mm, uh, yeah. that you had. You, I, you, you said what they were. I want to know if you'd share that with the audience. I, I love everything that I see written up there. So yeah, for sure. So for for listeners who can't see, there's uh, six elements of success but they're in the format of a periodic table of elements. So it's a play on that, but there's uh, greatness, hustle, legacy, mindset, success is that middle one right behind me and then vision. So all of those are kind of elements of success. I like to remind myself and remind my others of. I love it. I love it. I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to have to get some of those. That's uh, I, I really like that a lot. As I was reading through your book, um, I noticed that you talk a lot about frameworks, obviously. One of the things that we talk about a lot in our organization, and we talk a lot about this in this podcast, is ultimately we want to help team members find fulfillment. One of the ways we help team members find fulfillment is we let we set them loose to take ownership of their roles, take ownership of their departments, take ownership of the things that they touch every day, give them not just the responsibility, but the authority to do so. Part of that process is helping them figure out how do they make decisions within the organization uh, and not require uh, and not feel the need to bring that up to you know the leadership above them necessarily and have the tools to make those decisions. And, you know, one of the ways we do that is I say, I always say one of the things you have to make sure your team members know is what are the, you know, what is the purpose of the organization, obviously, and what are you, what do you value? That's a big metric for determining, like, how do I make decisions? Well, I make them according to our organization's values. But another way is giving them frameworks. Talk a little bit about how you use frameworks in your coaching uh, to help perhaps navigate making better decisions. Sure. I mean, you can tell someone like two plus two is four and they have like that specific answer. But if you teach someone how to think about things or how to do math in that example, it can be helpful in in multiple situations and scenarios. Um, So I think to me, like there's so many facets of decision making, but to, to tag on to what you said, having your leadership team be able to articulate what the mission of the company is should not be underestimated. A lot of leaders, a lot of clients I coach, I ask like, what's, you know, what's the purpose of your company? Okay, great. And how does this business unit align with the purpose of the company? And they can recite it. Okay, great. You're the CEO. You know that. If I were to ask every single member of your executive team (laughs) how their business unit aligns to the, the purpose of the company, would they be able to do that? And I get the like, oh, ooh, um, maybe uh, type of thing. And so I would, you know, for your listeners who are business leaders, ask yourself, can you define that for yourself and for your team? And then would your, uh, would your direct reports, would your leadership team be able to kind of say something along those lines with some, some consistency? Uh, and if not, then they're going to have trouble projecting that vision down to their folks as well. And so it kind of gets lost in translation. And I think you know this better than anyone, but people who feel like, oh, I what I'm doing day to day, I know how that fits into my department and my team, and then how that fits into the larger mission of the company. People who have that alignment and know it and can feel it and see it and are recognized for it are in this like golden alignment zone. And they just they they are a, a much happier person, and so they perform a lot better, and they interact with others a lot better. Um, and so I think that's one 
maybe not a framework per se, but that's one strategy you can use, like making sure am I clear on the vision for the company and how each business unit aligns to that? And is my team clear on that as well? Yeah. And we've, we've said this before and I, I don't, I don't know if he, I don't know if he created the the quote or he took that, borrowed it from someone else, but Patrick Lencioni in his leadership, Lenny of his leadership books talks about how, you know, every CEO is also a CRO. They are the chief reminding officer. They have to <laughs> constantly remind the entire organization of what do we stand for? What is our mission? What is our pur- purpose? What do we value? And every other element of the organization, they have to constantly remind that. And you're right. If you don't, if you can't even get that on your your highest level executive team, the people on the front line, you can't expect them to get it, to, to hold on to it, and to make decisions based on it. And if our goal is to have a self-sufficient team who understands what the organization is about and is able to make decisions outside of anyone else, anyone else uh, you need to be able to properly convey that all the way down the chain. And, and so it's such, it is, it's a powerful tool to constantly kind of keep reminding people of those things. And I would, I would say as well, if everything stays stable, reminding is important, but in the last 18 to 24 months, nothing has stayed stable. And so how, how someone, uh, someone's day to day might align to the overall mission very well might've changed. And so you need to help them redefine and, and remind them of the new Thing they need to be doing to, to help the company in this way. So yeah, that kind of constant reminder, like I, I know it and I can sit up here in like my ivory tower and talk about it with my executive team, but you know, mid-level management or perhaps someone who just joined the company uh, might've been told at orientation, but if they don't get told again or have that reinforced again, they're just gonna, they're just gonna lose that over time. So having a good cadence of communication is really key. And and what you said there is actually is really important too, is we have to remember like when we're leading, we're dealing with people and lives change and priorities change and perspectives change. And th- that reminding, you're right, you're right, isn't just reminding the the quote that we write on the wall, but it's actually getting down to the individual and saying, how does this apply to you in your worldview, in your understanding, in your role? Like how do we take the the quote and actually embed it into what you're dealing with today. And that's not something that can be done just by, like you said, when everything is status quo, everything is easy, everything is stable, you can always just kind of point to the poster and kind of like, remember this, this is what we stand for. But when everything is changing, when everything is chaos, when everything is being turned upside down, like the past couple of years, you, you have to kind of get down to the person, really down to the personal level and say, Let's talk about where you're at today. How does this, how do we translate this in the midst of a pandemic? How do we translate this in the midst of so much unemployment? How do we translate this in the midst of people who are really strong? How do we translate this amidst a war <laughs> that's that's taking place? Like, how do we do this? And super, super poignant for everything that's kind of going on right now. And the fun part of that to me, sorry, I just, I just, Cut, yeah. cut you off. But the fun part no, to me didn't. is um, is the situation is going to be experienced differently depending on the individual. So you could have, it's kind of like witnessing a car accident. You could have six witnesses and you're going to get six different accounts. So an event might happen or an announcement might be made at the company. And that's going to be received in six different ways if you ask six different 
team members. And so being able to, okay, let me process this myself. Let me understand this for myself and my team, but also, you know, let my leadership team know, hey, I expect you to go and really talk to your folks on your one-on-one check-ins or just an ad hoc call. Like, how are you doing? What does this mean to you? Um, Certain people might be in different situations. Certain people might take certain types of news differently. It might impact them in different ways. So really taking the time to be uh, curious about, okay, curious and interested. Okay, what does this mean for you? Let me stand in their shoes for just a little bit. And, and try to figure out. And if I don't know, then then ask and just check in with someone. I think that part is huge too, because you can say, I know what this means for me. I've processed this. I, I got it like done. And then just project and assume like everyone else is going through that same uh, process when it could be very different for someone else. No, I, I think every leader needs to hear that. I, I've, I can't tell, I, I, I can't count the number of times where I have failed at that very thing, right? That as, as a leader, I may process something. I may think I understand something and I do in my context, in my world. And I will convey that based on my experience and my understanding. And a lot of times that's, that's just not enough because my, I, I have a lot of external resource that not everyone else has. They have their own external resources for processing. And so there is so much work that has to go into communicating with clarity on each individual level to make sure everyone understands where we're at. And honestly, as an organization, that we understand where our people are at and where they're struggling and what they're feeling. And so it's, it's definitely a challenge. All of this, ultimately, we're talking about making good decisions and empowering our teams to make decisions, empowering our other leaders to make decisions. But when you do that, inevitably, we're going to fail. We hope, right? Because we're hoping we're taking some chances. We're hoping <laughs> we're taking some risks. We're hoping we're trying to accomplish big things, meaningful things. And in the midst of that, ultimately, failure is going to happen. It, it's inevitable. You might as well come to terms with it. We always talk about... Uh, we always use the phrase, failure is always an option. (laughs) Failure is always an option. Failure is an outcome, and it's not necessarily a bad outcome if we can learn something from this experience. You talk about failure in one of your frameworks. You talk about the failure loop when you talk about it. Can you unpack that a little bit and maybe that framework in processing failure? The failure loop is. Uh, redefining failure in the traditional sense. And it's a way to transform failure, in quotes, to progress. And so in my book, I have this chart, but I'll briefly describe it for listeners. It's a chain of individual loops and the the overall chain goes up and to the right. And that's the direction you want to go in. However, within one of the individual loops, there's a portion of it that goes back down into the left (laughs) where you're like, oh, oopsie. Um, And that's when the quote unquote failure event happens. And that's when... um, the decision didn't have a good outcome. The presentation didn't go well. Like you're embarrassed because now you have to admit to yourself and to other people that you messed up and it feels real crappy. And a lot of people stop there and a lot of people just rake themselves over the coals right there. And they say, I'm a bad person. I'm a loser and my self-worth. This means, you know, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. And instead, if you say, hey, you know, this doesn't feel good, but I know where I am in the process and I'm going to take the lesson and learning and I'm going to apply it 
to the next time, you've just propelled yourself back up the, the overall chain up and to the right. And so it's not easy, but if you just have that level of awareness where it's like, hey, no, I know this is where I am in the process and I know what I need to do, and you do the work in that tough moment, then that's, a, that's actually a mark of success. Because if you do that over and over, you are just literally, you're learning, you're growing, you're improving, um, and you're staying on your growth edge. So instead of, oh no, I failed, that's, that's a mark of shame or embarrassment. It's like, no, I failed because I'm out in front of everyone. I'm trying someone new. I'm, pu- I'm trying something new. I'm putting myself out there. And it's actually a badge of honor and a mark of success. I, I love that reframing. And I even like the, the terminology, right? Reframing failure to progress. And, and your illustration in the book of this kind of loop that kind of is going up and up and up, uh, that's the reality, right? If you try to do something important, if you try to do something big, if you try to be successful at something... That's what it feels like. It's a roller coaster. It's a it's a corkscrew. It's a loop de loop. Like it's just over and over and over again. You're brought down and you go up and you're brought down. And and I've felt it. And anybody who has tried to do anything has felt it. Um, but I love that reframing. That failure is this opportunity for us to grow and become better versions of ourselves. To think differently. How about that presentation? To think differently about how we fix this particular business struggle that we're dealing with, whatever it is that we're facing, failure is an opportunity. That And that is failure is always an option because failure is always an opportunity to learn something that we did not know before that we can apply to the next thing, to the next challenge, to the next big thing we're going to try. And so I, I 100% love that. And I also love this framing of failure with progress because ultimately I'm one of those people I've pushed this on my team all all the time. I say, I don't want activity. I don't care if you're busy. I don't care if your butts in the seat don't matter to me. I don't care if you're active. I don't even, honestly, I'm not even looking for productivity. I don't care that you just checked a bunch, a bunch of things. What I ultimately want is progress because progress says we've moved the right thing, the right amount of better in the right amount of time, meaning all those things kind of balance. And that doesn't mean we have to be, we're not trying to make things the best because the best is unattainable. Because as soon as you reach the best, somebody's got better. <laughs> and so ultimately, we're just trying for better. And failure is a great opportunity for us to get better in incremental ways by growing and learning. And so love that framework. I, I, I recommend people check that out and read through that a little bit more. What are some of the strategies that leaders can use to make their organization failure-friendly, to yeah, make it a question. little bit more capable for people to fail. Yeah. So give a specific answer. So when someone comes to you and you're their boss and they say, Emily, I made a, I have to tell you something. I made a mistake. Your initial reaction might be like, oh crap. Like, what did you do? Like, how are we going to get out of this? Like, why is this happening now? I got a million other things, but understand that's a huge leadership moment that this person is very vulnerable. And this person is coming to you and speaking something to you that's hard for them. And so it's a great moment to, you know, say, okay, like, tell me what happened. And they, they almost always already feel bad about it. So you like knocking them on the nose is not, they're already just going to go home and think about this and brave themselves. So it's, you know, solving the problem. So for instance, if there's a client escalation, like get that solved, make sure someone responds to the client, make sure the issue is taken care of, et cetera. And then really take them through the process of, 
okay, so, you know, how do you, how did you see this situation? You know, what, what could we have done to prevent that? What led to it? You know, what are some things we should do going forward? Um, and just ask open-ended questions and really be curious, which is not a word that comes to mind in that moment. It's like, mm, I got to show them how it is and like, tell them what's right and wrong. And the truth is you don't know exactly what happened. You don't know exactly what transpired to have that bad outcome happen. So you need to ask and you need to be curious and stay open-minded. You might assume one thing, but you want that confirmed. So ask that person, maybe ask another couple of people for their feedback and opinion or go look at uh, something on the back end, you know, to confirm it for yourself, but really be curious about that. And then again, depending on the individual, what do they need to get where I want them to be? So if I'm like, this is a top performer, they took on a whole bunch, I asked them to be proactive and they, they were, and then they happened to trip up on this one little thing, but that's exactly where I need them to be. Okay, I need them to not get gun shy and to get out there again as soon as possible. So for this individual, maybe they need a ton of reinforcement right now. Like I've asked them to stretch and they're at the end of their rubber band and I have to really reinforce them right now. Or maybe it's, you know what, they like to think about things they don't want to hear from you, you know, let them have, get them to the weekend and leave them alone type of deal. Uh, make sure they, you know, can have some quiet time or whatever they need to get to where you need them to be. I would um, individualize that and make it uh, unique to them. But that's a huge, um, a huge opportunity for you to step up as a leader. And people will remember that as well. Like I've come to my boss with a, I messed up. Like there's no getting around it. Like this was my miss. And I feel awful. And I'm like, please don't be horrible. Like, please don't be mad today. Um, <laughs> but I will say I've had numerous kinds of reactions to that. I've had the, oh, God, I'm going to get, you know, slaughtered. Uh, I'm going to get eviscerated for, for this mistake in front of everyone. I'm going to get blamed in front of everyone. And I've had the exact opposite where it's like, Emily, like, no problem. Like, let's go and fix this together and let's take a look at this. I'll help you. And I was like, oh. <gasps> you're going to like help me right now. Like I caused this issue. I made you look bad and you're going to try to help me. And I just remember how I felt on the receiving end of those two uh, responses. Uh, yeah. And that, and that's important for leaders to remember, right? Somebody comes to you with failure. Again, the reason they failed is because they tried something that might've been outside of their skill set, outside of their, their knowledge, whatever, but they took a risk and we want our people to take risks. And so we want the best way to get them to take more risks is to make sure that they don't feel like when they do and fall, that they're going to be berated and raked over the coals and held up as an example with their head on a stake for everyone <laughs> to see. This is what happens when people fail. So right off some good practical advice, right? Pause smile and listen. <laughs> and that's okay. It's all right. Like here, I, this is the thing I always try to tell people in business over and over and over again. It is rare that somebody's going to make a mistake that's going to tank your business. I mean, can those things happen? Sure. There are those level decisions. But most of the decisions, most of the failures that happen are very minor in scale and are easily correctable with just a little bit of time and thought and thoughtfulness. And, and as you said, curiosity to kind of really look at why did we come to the assumption that we had? Why did we come to this decision? Why did we put these things in place? Let's talk about it. Let's understand it. They're easily corrected. So just chill out, calm down, put a smile on your face 
and listen and be curious, ask good questions. I love that part of that, right? Is asking them, hey, it's fine. We'll, we'll figure this out. Let's start by going back to the beginning and say, let's talk about the decisions that we made. How did we get there? What was the information that we thought we had that we thought was solid? Because you know, probably they thought when they made that decision, everything was spot on. We were wrong. It happens. It's, you know, and so I love that approach of just being super approachable and rec- and seeing, letting your team know that you're a partner to help them through the failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really powerful. And, and some quick other things that came up when you were speaking is the, the culture you design as a leader is huge. So just the environment or the soil that everyone is, is living in. Um, I like to encourage leaders to talk about their own failures. So when they mess up, like it's easy, it's so easy as a boss to be like, I'm not going to talk about that. Like, I, I don't need to share that. Like, that's that's mine. But if you're saying, hey, like, I just wanted to mention, like last week, um, I, I sent the wrong email to this person. And so this information was out there. I asked for it back and it's all good now. But, you know, that was just something, um, you know, I was going fast and and it happens. But let's all just keep an eye out for uh, making sure we have the right name in the two line or whatever, like something simple mm-hmm. like that. But it's like, Oh, like she's a human and she's talking about this and it's it's okay. And so um not only talking about a culture of where we want people to be proactive and it's okay to fail, not only um walking the walk when that situation does come up and people do come to you with a mistake, but also uh freely expressing like, hey, here's where I messed up and that's part of being human and it's okay and we're gonna move forward together. And you know, hey, I I kind of uh, misstepped here. Can someone help me? And they're like, Oh, of course, like I'll help you. And then when you misstep, like I'll help you. We're all at, all in it together. It's not like us against them or I gotcha. It's like, no, we're all on the same team or we're going to help each other out. So um, that's a big one. And then something else you mentioned, which I love talking about is not conflating the decision and the outcome, which most people fuse together. Like, Hey, if, if I made a decision and the outcome was bad, that was a bad decision or I'm a bad decision maker. Whereas if the outcome flips to something favorable or positive, like, Oh, I'm a genius. Like I'm great at making decisions. And so sometimes, uh, you made the best decision you could with all the information you had at the time. And so at that moment, it was the best decision you could have made. Now, in with 2020 hindsight, we can all go la da da like we should have done this, we should have done that, how how stupid. Um, but that's that's fantastic. But in reality, we're making decisions quickly, we're making them with limited information, we're like tired and stressed sometimes. And so was it the best decision you could have made with all the information you had at the time? That's the key question to ask. And if you can answer yes to that, by definition, you could not have done any better. Yeah. Now I've now I've had some people who are like, Emily, like in my heart of hearts, even at the time, <laughs> I took the path of least resistance because I wanted it to be easy. And I go, okay, so we'll put that, you know, in a feedback loop and we'll talk about it, what we can do better next time. But um, I think that distinction is is a good one to get out there too. No, I, I love it because let's be honest, it's every single football coach has probably ex- <sighs> and leadership has experienced this, right? The football coach is in the Super Bowl, the game is, the game is at the end, uh, they're at the end of the game and they're in the fourth down and the coach says, go for it and they don't make it and that coach is a fool, you should have kicked the field goal, you should have did this, you should have did that, they're a failure, they're stupid, they made a bad decision because of the outcome. Same coach, 
calls that same play. They get the touchdown. They win the Super Bowl. Well, that coach was a genius. Like he made a great decision. Like sometimes our failures are just dumb luck. Sometimes you just get bad luck and it didn't go the way you want. And again, it all comes down to how you approach that situation. I love that demonstrating failure as a leader as well. Part of being a chief reminding officer isn't just about what we say. It isn't about just saying the thing over and over again. It's demonstrating it with our behaviors over and over again. It's accepting people when they fail. It's demonstrating and being transparent with our own failures. All of those things create the culture and demonstrate what is important to the organization. And so super powerful uh, stuff there. You have one more. We're actually at the time where we'd normally wrap up, but I want to talk about one more of your frameworks in your book, just because it's one that I love. It's one that I'm always trying to even teach my son, <laughs> you know, my seven-year-old. I'm trying to kind of get him to understand this. And that is your three circles uh, for decision-making framework. I love this idea because I think we all fall into the trap of, of these circles. And you talk about it a little bit. Can you unpack your three circles? And uh, honestly, this website, the podcast is all on a website called circles.com. So obviously we love circles. <laughs> that's, my whole, that's my whole framework. So I love it. And so can you talk about your three circles uh, framework? Sure. Here's the framework. Circle one plus circle two equals circle three. So it's a math equation, but it's a simple one. So circle one is where an event happens. So an external event kind of drops in circle one. And the the example I use is if you're at a team meeting and, you know, James decides to get really upset and start yelling at people and it's like, oh my gosh, like, holy cow, this, this person is having a tough day. And so you skip to circle three. And you say, what do I want to have happen? What's my uh, intended outcome? What's my most favorable outcome? What do I want to have happen? And that little step is, is really important because you have to define what do I want out of this situation, which a lot of people skip. And then you actually reverse engineer into circle two and you go, okay, what do I need to say or do or how do I need to show up to give circle three the highest likelihood of happening? And it can be also like, what do I need to not say? What do I need to not do? And how do I need to not show up to get circle three to happen? So it could be something in our example, like, hey, James, I hear that you're really upset and you're really passionate about this. I hear a lot of frustration in your voice. I care about that issue as well. We actually have it on the agenda today. So we have to go through the different budget requirements for all the business units, but we absolutely want to talk about that. Let's get to that as a group um, on the back half of this meeting. So you've kind of acknowledged the person, you've pulled out a kernel of truth about what they were saying, and you kind of set the meeting back right onto the onto the scheduled agenda. Um, so that could be your circle too. The three circles frameworks can work in the moment. So in real time, like that example, it can also work for longer term things. So, hey, I have a goal in mind. Maybe it's, you know, a year long. Okay, that's my that's my circle three best outcome at the end of this year. What do I need to do in, in circle two? And maybe that's broken out into milestones. Like what do I need to hit each quarter and each month? And in fact, this week to get to that. So it can be used in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, going back to the meeting example really quickly, I have a leader who uses that going into the meeting. So she defines what do I want at the end of this meeting? How do I want people to feel? What do I want them to do? And then what do I need to set the table with, um, you know, with, with my uh, moderating or hosting uh, or organizing that meeting? And 
uh, in the last in the last session I had with her, she was like, "I actually need to be silent in this meeting. I have to talk less." And I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." She's like, "I need other people to speak up," and so I'm going to set the table with a prompt, and then I really need to pay attention to letting other people talk and not jumping in because people will always go with what I'm saying because I'm the CEO, but I want to let others really have a voice at the table. So that's another way you can use three circles. I, I What's really great about this, and this is something I think everyone needs to understand, is, right? These three circles, they're happening whether you like it or not, <laughs> right? One plus two equals three is happening whether you like it or not. The problem is a lot of times we go into it reactionary. So one happens, we react with our two, and we get three. Instead, I love this kind of stepping out of it. It's very stoic to kind of step out of, out of the scenario, out of the, the, the moment, and said, say, I'm not going to react. I'm going to respond. But I'm going to respond based on what I want to see ultimately happen. What do I want to get out of this interaction? What does the organization need out of this interaction? What is best for the team in this interaction? So I'm going to take my input. I'm going to determine what I want for output, and I'm going to add my input to this to help us steer us there. And so it's real powerful. So I think for everyone listening, I just want to say you're going through these three circles, whether you like it or not, (laughs) but to take a step back and pause and actually say, I'm going to put this out of, I'm going to take this out of order so that I'm actually, I actually have some power into where this ends up. Is such a powerful framework to think about it. And I, you're right. It can be used in a lot of ways. You talk about meetings. I see you talk about long-term goals. This may be a way that you think about your KPIs or your OKRs. You say, well, this is what our objective is. So ultimately, what are the key results that I need to infuse in order, like, this is where we're at. This is where we want to be. How do I infuse these key results to get to our ultimate objective? And so I love, it's a great framework just to kind of think about what are the decisions going on. And it's such a simple model to kind of just pause and step back. Uh, Emily, thank you so much for being on the show today. I want to give you the last word. If people want to get in touch with you, learn more about the things that you offer and what you're doing, how can they do that? Absolutely. Well, first of all, it's been an absolute pleasure to be on. So thank you so much. You're an awesome host. And I love I love these types of conversations. So thank you. Um, if people want to know more about me, check out my website. It's nextlevel.coach. That's nextlevel, all one word, dot coach. And then we talked about some of the frameworks briefly here. But if you want more of that, the book is Hacking Executive Leadership. And that's on Amazon. There's a Kindle version. There's an Audible version because I know people are busy. So you can check that out wherever books are sold. Awesome. Emily, thank you so much. Awesome URL. Everything that we mentioned will be in the show notes. You'll get links to all of that. Uh, Thank you again for being on the show and uh, stay tuned. I got some closing thoughts and we'll wrap this up. What a great conversation and a huge thank you to Emily for participating in it with me. As always, everything that we mentioned, including the full transcript of the show, is available over on our website, and you can access it anytime by visiting leadingtofulfillment.com slash 016. That's leadingtofulfillment.com slash 016. Also, on that website, I want to encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter. There, we'll let you know when those new episodes drop, as well as send you original and curated content on leadership, managing teams, and finding fulfillment. We send that out every single Friday, and it is a treasure trove of great information. Listen, being a leader means making countless decisions, big and small. From the beginning, you'll be inundated with big picture decisions like what's your mission statement and what kind of culture do you want to foster? Which clients should you pursue? 
As your company grows, so do the decisions. Who to hire, what strategies to implement, which project management tools to use, and the list goes on and on and on. But you don't have to make every decision on your own, and you shouldn't. With growth comes a team of people who can help you make those decisions if you teach them how. Taking on 100% of the decision-making depletes your time, energy, and value. It also deprives your team of an incredible opportunity to grow, contribute, and engage. The healthiest and most productive organizations are made of self-sufficient teams. As a leader, it's your responsibility to empower your team with the independence, confidence, and tools to make great decisions. But how do you do that? One, make your values and mission clear. Two, define roles and and the organization. Three, communicate often and share information. Four, focus on the decision-making process instead of the outcomes. And five, create a fail-friendly environment. Making better decisions is a skill to be learned, fostered, practiced, and improved upon. No one is a natural decision-maker. They are taught. Coach your team on effective communication and collaboration. Make sure they have the information they need and the confidence to act on it. Create a framework for effective decision-making that they can turn to time and time again. And when you've done all that, the only thing left to do is to trust them. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me on the next episode. And until then, may your businesses be successful as you lead your teams to fulfillment. 